The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Mr. John Haberlin. He's the NASCAR reporter for ESPN Albuquerque. I'd like to welcome him to Know the Score to help me talk about Daytona 500 and the NASCAR season preview. Yeah, thank you, Don. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast, and I'm looking forward to the next hour. Before we start, just let everybody know that you can find Know the Score and all the other podcasts on the CSPN on the web at www.cspn.us. You can also subscribe to Know the Score through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. Change is the only thing we can count on coming into a new NASCAR season, and this year is no different. The change stretches through every level of the sport. Brian France has been on indefinite leave since his arrest on suspicion of DUI and unlawfully possessing a controlled substance. And Jim France has assumed the role of interim CEO and Steve Phelps was promoted to president of NASCAR. John, these men are tasked with growing the sport and engaging the fan base. So what are some of the challenges that they're going to be facing? <laughs> There's a lot to that question. <laughs> um, I think Jim France, uh, you know, ever since taking over, uh, He's kind of assumed the role as NASCAR's CEO, and I think he, a lot of people are saying that he's actually done quite a bit already in the short amount of time he's had that role. Um, I think uh, NASCAR has done some internal changes within their, you know, their marketing departments and trying to uh, attract fans, whether it's on social media uh, or you know whatever platform they're looking to promote the sport on. And then also, I think the um, just what they're doing with. Uh, you know they're looking to introduce a generation seven car in the upcoming years. Um, they're look. They've obviously made those uh, rule changes last week. Um, they're going to disqualify winners. Uh, no longer the uh, the quote unquote encumbered wins and L one penalties. It's if you uh, have an illegal car and you win the race, then you're not going to be the winner anymore. You're you're going to finish last, and you're going to get the 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 points and the money that the last place finisher would get. And in that case, the next uh, placing legal car would be the winner. So I think a lot of people have been uh, a fan of that, actually, because it's something that's probably been a little overdue in NASCAR. So um, I think a lot of people are giving him some praise for that. And, you know, obviously we've got this whole season coming up with the new uh, aero package. So I think there's some skepticism, but there's still some excitement. So I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out in the up- upcoming months. Rumors began circulating last summer that NASCAR as a whole body was on the market to be sold. So through this off season, have you heard any new developments or have you heard of anybody who may be interested in purchasing NASCAR as a whole? No, I can't say I have. I, I think uh, those talks have kind of simmered down a bit. Um, there was also the talks about NASCAR looking to uh, purchase ISC, which owns uh, about a dozen of the tracks that NASCAR visits. And there hasn't been much talk about that either. There's been rumors about trying to get NASCAR and IndyCar on the same weekend at one of the ISC tracks. They they were talking about maybe Chicagoland or a venue like that. 
But yeah, I haven't heard anything about that recently. Um, I guess the one thing that has changed is the uh, the ARCA racing series is now the ARCA Menard series. It's now the entitlement sponsor instead of the presenting sponsor. So that, I guess that's something that has changed that uh, obviously NASCAR uh, purchased ARCA last year and um, they're looking to merge that into, you know, one of the developing series similar to like what the K&N series is, are in NASCAR. That That's what they're looking to do with ARCA in the, in the future. Now, you touched on it a little bit about the rules package. So there's going to be two rules packages in play this year based on the tracks that they're at. The first one is going to be a combination of a smaller taper spacer to reduce engine horsepower and aero ducts along with a taller rear spoiler as well as a larger front splitter. And it will be used to foster tighter racing on a majority of the speedways measuring longer than a mile. Then there will be five other races that will be run with the smaller spacer, but without the aero ducts. So my first question to you is, were you a fan of the original aero package that was used at last year's All-Star Race? I thought it was good for that race. Um, It was definitely like an experimental thing. A lot of the teams and the engineers didn't really know what it would bring. I think the drivers thought it was fun, but I also think it kind of took away the, the, I guess, the driving element. In a, in a way, if that makes sense, it's more about drivers trying to, uh, you know, as Kyle Busch said during the, the Las Vegas test last week, it says it's a bit more of like a chess game and like kind of uh, planning out which uh, way you want to go with the draft. It's not really about, you know, throttle time or break time. So uh, that's going to be something different. We'll see. And, you know, like for the All-Star Race, I thought it was cool looking. I thought we saw, uh, you know, some pack racing on, you know, a mile and a half, which is really unheard of. So I think the um, two things I want to see in the upcoming season with this new package is um, if that kind of racing will continue, uh, obviously they have a little bit more horsepower, so maybe the field will spread out a little bit more. Um, if we'll see that on the mile and a half, like we did at the All-Star Race. And also, I think one thing that I'd be a little skeptical of is, um, you know, with pack racing, sometimes, you know, we saw this in the, in the clash on Sunday, there tends to be racing single file. And no one is, you know, can make a move either because their car just won't handle and they can't make a move or um, they just, you know, have a fear of losing the draft and falling to the back. So that's something I'd be worried about maybe a little bit for the uh, for the upcoming, you know, races with this new package. So, you know, this is just I think a lot of people don't really they can't no one can say what will happen. You know, we just got to see it as it plays, you know. Right, right. They will not be using the new rules package for Daytona, which was a curious choice since you got to remake all these cars more than half the schedule anyway. The reason they're not using the, the new rules for the Daytona 500 is actually because they already started developing engines for the Daytona 500 a few months ago before the, the package was all official. So they're still using the 2018 rules just because that's what they have available to them. It, would, it just wouldn't have been enough time to prepare the new engines and new cars for uh, the 500. All right. So you touched on the the Vegas test that they held a couple of weeks ago um, just by watching it and hearing some of the driver's feedback. What were some of your biggest takeaways uh, from those couple of days that they were out there in Vegas? Yeah, like like I uh, said with, uh, I think it was Kyle Busch, he's the one that said it's going to be a little bit more of like a chess match. You know, a driver, if he's stuck behind a car, does he want to try to, you know, stay in the draft? and keep his position and hope something happens like a caution or something, or do you try to like jump out of the draft, do a slingshot move, try to get around the car. 
it's really, I guess it's going to be, you know, probably race time decisions. Like if there's 20 to go, the way you're going to race is going to be different than, you know, it's 20 laps into a race. And then you also got to consider, um, will stages have an effect on the way, uh, drivers, uh, attack the, you know, the racetrack, whether they're going to be aggressive or a little bit more passive and, and comfortable with where they are. So I, and I think for the actual driving part, yeah, there were drivers saying that you can, uh, just go full throttle around the track in Vegas. Um, Talent-wise, that really doesn't say much about the drivers, but you know, I, I think entertainment-wise, we'll we'll see some compelling racing. Do you think that this rule package is going to give more drivers a real chance to compete for wins this season? Yeah, I I think so. I, I think yeah, I do. I don't think it's as much as maybe some people would say, but I think there will be something to be said about more drivers having the chance to win. Um, I think of maybe drivers that kind of have underwhelmed with top uh, teams. Maybe um, I think maybe Daniel Suarez can win some races this year. Um, I, I could see both of the Ganassi cars, Kurt Busch and Kyle Larson winning a few more races this year. Um, maybe someone like Eric Jones, he had that one win at Daytona back in July. He, you know, he, he hasn't won a race uh, on like an intermediate track or a short track in the cup series yet. So I feel like he could be someone that could be winning races. Um, obviously, I do think we're just going to have more winners this season than we did last year. Obviously, last year, the first half was, you know, if you weren't Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, or Kevin Harvick, you weren't talked about that often. So I, I do think we'll see some more winners. I, I'd like to say maybe in the range of 15 to 16 winners this season. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see just because we're closer to some guys who are maybe usually run in the high teens. If the package can allow them through some creative um, strategies, you know, get up into the front. And then once you get up there, if you're a good drafter, like you're Denny Hamlin and you're having a so-so day and you can get to the front and you can draft pretty good, you may be able to sneak out a win. Yeah, I, I do think that it's funny you mentioned Denny Hamlin because I do think this package might actually benefit, benefit him because he had a, a rough season last year. He went winless for the first time of his full-time uh, cup career. Uh, so, and he has a new crew chief this year, so maybe that'll help. Um, I could see also Paul Menard, maybe someone, you know, he's, when you, when I think of guys that run into teens, Paul Menard's kind of a guy that comes to mind for me. So, um, yeah, I think maybe those two guys could, you know, probably sneak in a win or two here and there. All right. Just reminding everybody that this is Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente. I'm joined by John Haviland, and we're previewing the upcoming Daytona 500 and the NASCAR season. The silly season is always a big part of the NASCAR season once we get late in the season towards the playoffs and the championship run. And the silly season started earlier, and it was more active than it has been in recent years. Uh, the first casualty was the Furniture Row Racing Team. They closed their doors, and former Cup champion Martin Truex Jr. moved over to Joe Gibbs. So, John, I'll ask you this question. How big of a loss is Furniture Row Racing to the sport and just the ideal that that underdog team could compete and ultimately become the champions of the sport. Yeah, so I do think Furniture Row has left a legacy and maybe sets an example that uh, you know teams who come into the who come into NASCAR, you know, struggle for the first couple of years. Maybe don't have enough money to you know, or barely just have enough to get to all the races. Like there is a path that if you stick to it. You form a, uh, an alliance with the team. You you find some veteran drivers, 
uh, just make the playoffs and make a uh, an alliance with a one of the top teams, there is a way to you know go start from the bottom and then work your way all the way to the pinnacle. I think it is a pretty big loss for NASCAR because it just doesn't really make NASCAR look good. It just what it says is that without sponsors you can't do this, and it's all about the money. Yeah, it was a it was a bad look for NASCAR. It got to a point where NASCAR did issue a statement about it, and I do think another thing that does maybe make it look a little bad is Furniture Rose Charter was sold to a brand new team, which we have no idea what to expect from them. It's uh, Spire Motorsports, and uh, they'll be running the Daytona 500 in a, a coalition with Chip Ganassi Racing, and they'll be fielding Jamie McMurray in his final uh, planned cup start. But then after that, they're going to run uh, Quinn Hoff in the uh, in the car for, I think, 10 races. And if you're listening to this and wondering who Quinn Hoff is, well, you're not the only one because I think he has maybe a handful of Xfinity starts, but it's one of those deals where you bring some sponsorship, you know, you can find yourself a ride. Speaking of bringing sponsorship, Daniel Suarez found himself on the outside looking in when Martin Truex moved over to his ride at Joe Gibbs, so Suarez landed over at Stuart Haas Racing, and that meant that Kurt Busch was on the outs, and he's going to jump over to take over the one car for Jamie McMurray at Chip Ganassi. So John, which one of these three drivers who swapped the rides between Martin Truex Jr., Daniel Suarez, or Kurt Busch is going to have the best season? I'm going to say Kurt Busch. I think, I, yeah, I'm going to say Kurt Busch because I think the combination of him and Larson and I think with this new rules package, I do think that they can excel. They're both, you know, it's hard to it's hard to believe that Larson's already a veteran, but he, you know, he actually is a veteran at this point. He's been in the Cup Series for, I think, five or six years now. So, I, and, you know, he's already proven himself as a winner. Kurt Busch is a winner. He's won the Daytona 500. He's won the, the championship, albeit it was back when there was a different format. Um, I do think he'll have the best season. Um, I do expect Daniel Suarez and Martin Truex to have good seasons as well, though. it doesn't. I'm not trying to put them down at all. I think all three of them are capable of having strong seasons. Roush Racing signed a deal with Ryan Newman to draft the sixth car. John, what does Ryan Newman bring to Roush that could help them become a consistent threat for wins and championships? Yeah, I would say it's something similar that Matt Kenseth brought to the team last year when they signed him in uh, a few weeks into the season to replace Trevor Bain and try to get their program back on track. Um, the veteran, uh, you know, being a veteran and being able to be a leader is something that I would expect Newman to to do with Roush. Um, that team is, they're really still trying to find their ways. Um, it looks like maybe they were starting to find something few years ago it looked like they were really good on the super speedways with ricky stenhouse he won his first race at talladega and then he won the july daytona race uh, a year and a half ago but um I, both drivers failed to uh or i guess all stenhouse failed to make the the playoffs and then the six car uh neither of the drivers were able to make the playoffs because uh trevor bain and kenseth shared the car but now that they, they have two full-time drivers again this year they're putting all their focus into the Cup Series. They no longer have an Xfinity Series program, so perhaps we can see them improve a little bit on track this year as well. Hendrick Motorsports, they got in on the changes as longtime driver and crew chief combination of Jimmy Johnson and Chad Ganaus have been split up. So Ganaus will become the crew chief for William Byron in the 24 car, and Kevin Mindering will become the crew chief for Jimmy Johnson. 
Mendering was a crew chief for retired Xfinity Series driver Elias Adler last year. So, John, in your opinion, who does this change benefit the most? Jimmy Johnson, who gets the new voice, or William Byron, who gains all the championship experience, can also bring over from the 48. I would say it's a pretty equal uh, benefit for both guys because, uh, obviously, Johnson and Canals, they were tremendous when they were together, especially in those those late 2000 years from 06 to 2010. But that wouldn't have happened if they weren't together. It, it, it was the combination of the two of them that made that created that dynasty. So I think a lot of people want to wonder, okay, who is going to be more successful over the long run this year? Is it going to be Chad Knauss with William Byron? Or is it going to be Jimmy Johnson with uh, with Mendering, who's in his first year as a cup crew chief? Um, not to say that it's necessarily competition between the two, but it might be. I mean, I don't know the two of them that well. Um, so I guess it comes down to will William Byron will bleh, I'm sorry. William Byron win a race before Jimmy Johnson does, or will Jimmy Johnson win a race before uh, Knauss and Byron do? Yeah, it's going to be something to watch all year, especially with the new packages and, and things like that, and how closely they're going to be watching what you do with the package. Because, you know, uh, Chad's reputation among the fans, as always, he's got something up his sleeve. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that all works out. Can't wait to see the dynamics play out once we start getting to the mile and a half and the short tracks early in the season. Yeah, I agree. Yep. But the new season will also bring in a new crop of rookies. So Daniel Hemrick, he'll be driving the number eight for Childress Racing. Ryan Priest, he'll be driving the 47 for JTR Daltrey Racing. Uh, Matt Tiff, he'll be driving the number 36 for Front Row Motorsports. And Tanner Berryhill will be driving a 97. I'm not familiar with their team, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. But Oh, Bica Racing. Oh, Bica Racing. Thank yep. you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so out of this crop of rookies, who's in the best position to get a win in 2019? Definitely Daniel Hemrick. Um, he's just in the best car out of the other guys. I think uh, – he, he has lots of experience uh, racing stock cars, racing late models. This is kind of, you know, he, he worked his way up to the Cup Series because he's talented. It's not because he has, like, you know, a, a lot of funding or anything like that. He he worked hard in the Truck Series when he was with a mid-pack team. And then he got to, uh, he got the opportunity with RCR and drove their ex, uh, drove in their Xfinity program for two years. And now that Ryan Newman has departed, RCR uh, Hemrick is the one that has been called up to the Cup Series to, to be a partner with Austin Dillon. So I think he'll have the best season. Um, I do also want to say that I think Ryan Priest will actually turn some heads. Um, Ryan Priest is actually a really – he's. Uh, I'll tell you this. When I, when I see Ryan Priest, uh, he's very popular in the Modified Series. Um, a lot of people in the Northeast root for Ryan Priest because he's like that blue collar guy he likes to work on his own race car and i think he's gonna he's gonna turn some heads because he's a very talented driver i've seen him in, in a few different disciplines and i think he can um you know i don't know if he'll win a race this year probably probably not but he can put together some good runs this year as well yeah that was going to be my next question i was going to ask you which one of the rookies you thought would probably do better than their equipment should allow them to do so you're voting for ryan priest yes i'm definitely voting for priest there all right now, when it comes to equipment, Ford, they're introducing the Mustang to the Monster Energy Cup Series. So, John, 
is Ford better prepared across the board than Chevy was last year when they introduced the Camaro to hit the ground running throughout the season? I don't know if I would say that they're better prepared, but I think they do have a bit of an advantage this year because because of the new rules. You know, I think last year Chevy, uh, you know, when they were working on that Camaro body, they were still trying to figure out all the aerodynamic tendencies um, of the uh, the front end. I think with the um, the new rules package and having the Mustang, I feel like that's maybe not as important. I guess because you're you're going to be able to draft and um, you know when you think back to what happened last year with the Camaros, they they did struggle in the first half in the first half of the season. But I mean, who won that race? It was Austin Dillon in a in a Chevy Camaro. So um, yeah, I think I think we're gonna I think the Fords are gonna be all right this year, and I do think the Camaros are gonna be fast again, and I do think the Toyotas will continue to be the Toyotas. So I think we're. Pro- we're in for to see a uh, very balanced season, I think. Now, I'm going to shift over to some Xfinity Series uh, stuff right fast. Uh, Toyota is going to introduce the Supra this year. They're going to kind of get into the uh, muscle car look as they've been, you know, having the Camry kind of the mom and pop car where everybody else has got the cool teenager car going around the track. So they're going to get in with that this year. Uh, what do you think that's going to do for uh, Toyota's camp? They've been, you know, pretty dominant throughout the Xfinity series, even though, you know, last year, uh, junior motorsports and the Chevy won the championship. They've had a lot of success with the Camry. Uh, what, what do you think that's going to do for uh, Toyota's program and Xfinity series with this new car? I don't think it'll change much for the, uh, Toyota camp. I think maybe it'll, uh, maybe there will be a little bit of an adjustment adjusting to the, uh, to the new super bodies. Uh, maybe in a similar way that we saw with Chevy and the new Camaros last year. But I think the Toyotas will continue to be strong. I think Joe Gibbs Racing is still, you know, just the, the class in the field when it comes to the Xfinity Series. And was Ross Chastain able to land on his feet after the, uh, you know, the government shut down uh, his sponsor for what was going to be his Xfinity Series ride with Ganassi this year? Yeah, so Ross Chastain is probably going to run more uh, NASCAR events on the national level than anyone else because he has a part-time schedule lined up with Nice Motorsports and the Truck Series this year. Um, he'll be racing 30 races in his uh, his old ride, really. It's the number four car for JD Motorsports. Um, in the other three Xfinity races, he'll be racing with Colleague Racing. They're going to have a part-time uh, second entry. And then he is also going to be racing with Premium Motorsports in the Cup Series. So he's really got his hands full throughout 2019. All right. Yeah, that was very good to hear. Just some, you know, out of the blue and and one of the crazier stories that, you know, you'd ever think to see come across the NASCAR wire. So glad that he was able to land on his feet. That brings us to the start of the 2019 season as we prepare for the Daytona 500. So William Byron and his new crew chief, Chad announced they won the pole for the 500. And his Hendrick teammate, Alex Bowman, they're going to start second. Um, In the qualifying itself, all four Hendrick cars swept the top four spots. The fifth spot was uh, Kurt Busch and Chevy as well. So it looks like they have the, you know, single car speed that, you know, everybody looks at them as like, "Mm, you know, maybe if they can gang up together, this could be a problem. So with Hendrick showing all this speed, are we headed for another four-car breakaway, like we saw Stuart Haas orchestrate at Talladega in October? I suppose it's possible. Um, I do think that what happened with Stuart Haas racing at Talladega, I mean, I have never seen anything like that on a, on a restrictor plate race where 
four cars can just break away from the rest of the pack. That was just insane. Um, so, I mean, not to say it can't happen, but it does seem a little unlikely, maybe. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong. But I do think uh, the Hendrick cars, I mean, they've been so strong at Daytona the last couple of years, especially when it's when it's qualifying. I mean, how many years straight has, has a Hendrick Motorsports car won a Daytona 500 pole? So I think they'll be strong. I think they'll be a little better prepared this year. Obviously, they're in their, their sophomore year with the Camaro. Um, it's the same uh, driver lineup, so there's no uh, incoming rookies. And um, uh, Alex Bowman's getting his second full-time year uh, racing the 88. So I think he's probably, I don't know if he was ever really nervous, but I think he's probably a little more settled down and a little more comfortable with this team. So I do think the Hendrick cars can uh, you know, show something when it comes to uh, the Daytona 500 this Sunday. I think more and more we're beginning to see it, these plate races where it's actually becoming like Ford versus Chevy versus Toyota. It's not really per se the one-on-one drivers anymore. It's like, hey, we're all going to get – it's like a fighter group now. It's like we're all going to get together in our squadron, and we're going to go fast together, and we're all going to look out for each other, and hopefully we can do what Haas wanted to do, which was just race among us four – at the end and one of us four win or we all four across the finish line at the same time. But, uh, you know, wrecks happen and it kind of busts up the field and things changed up. So speaking of that, Penske, they don't really have the qualifying speed per se. They're in the seventh, eighth, ninth spot, but everybody thinks they have the better handling car and the better racing cars. I want you to name a few guys that you have your eye on during this year's 500 who could wind up in victory lane, a handful, three, five guys, because, you know, directs happen and people blow motors and cut tires. So I'm going to give you more than just one guy to hang your hat on. You know, Daytona 500 is obviously a crapshoot. But um, if we're going to talk about gambling, I think if you go to Vegas right now, um, the odds would be in Brad Keselowski's favor. Um, he's, he's still looking for that elusive uh, Daytona 500 victory. He's obviously won at Daytona and he's won at Talladega a few times. But, um, you know. It almost feels like his career can't be complete until he wins that Daytona 500. So, I think he's definitely a very strong pick. And I would also say his uh, his arch nemesis Kyle Busch. He's another guy uh, who hasn't won the 500 yet. So, I think those two guys are definitely uh, people you want to keep an eye on uh, throughout the race. Kyle Busch is getting up there to that that Daryl Waltrip territory, I think, where he's been in this race so many times and he's had some really bad luck at Daytona with the broken leg a couple of years ago that I think people are just starting to look at the record and go, wow, he's run that many races and been racing that long and never won this race, that they probably are kind of inside going, if he can do it clean without wrecking anybody all day, I wouldn't mind seeing Kyle Busch just win that race. I don't know if the fans would completely agree with that. I think fans like to boo Kyle Busch, and Kyle Busch kind of embraces the boos that he hears. But I do, you know, it's similar to what with Kazalowski. I think Kyle Busch's career, you know, he's a champion. He's pretty much won everything there is to win. But just that last thing he's really got to check off on his, on his uh, career bucket list is that Daytona 500 win. But if the whole draw in the nature of sports is two things. To see something and experience something you've never seen before and to go and see people or teams that you don't like get theirs, isn't there something to being the villain and always being able to consistently make those people mad? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think Kyle Busch is actually a really good asset for NASCAR because, you know, how often does he say something that kind of gets under people's skin and then all of a sudden 
you know, all, all the talk shows or, or you know, any other podcasts they are talking about, oh, Kyle Busch said this. Let's talk about why he said this or what made him say this. And, you know, that's honestly not a bad thing for really any sport. I think people like to hear uh, debates and like to hear controversy. So um, Kyle Busch, you know, let him run his mouth because he always has something to say. And, you know, whether you like it or not, it's, it's going to get your attention. So Daytona is pretty much its own season unto itself. So as we move past the 500 into the rest of the schedule, who do you feel has a strong chance to miss the playoffs that made it last year? Hmm, that's a good question. That's actually a really tough question. <laughs> wow, I don't know. I'll give you the the bottom end of the lineup here. Yeah, let's hear it. We had Alex Bowman at 16, Jimmy Johnson at 15, Eric Almarola at 14, Denny Hamlin at 13, Kyle Larson at 12, Austin Dillon at 11, Eric Jones at 10. I'm gonna say Austin Dillon. Um, I, I I like. I don't think he and the number three team quite have the speed yet to just win races outright. Um, you know, they the Daytona 500. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from them and their and their victory, but you know, the Daytona 500. It's it's just you know there's so many teams that have a have an opportunity to win that race. And if Austin Dillon hadn't won that race, like who knows if he would have even made the postseason or not last year. So I'm going to say Austin Dillon. All right. Now, Joey Logano, he shook off the disappointment of the 2017 season, and he ended up winning the Cup Series championship last year. So, John, what has winning the championship done for Joey Logano's legacy and his perception among those inside NASCAR? Well, I can recall seeing this on Twitter a few weeks ago. There were There was like a discussion about what drivers – what active drivers uh, with their current career statistics uh, would make the Hall of Fame. And some people are actually already saying Joey Logano. And um, at my first reaction was like, wow, he's, he's really young. He's still got so much ahead in his career. But when you take a look back at it, like it's really not completely out of the realm because he has the championship. He, he's won a Daytona 500, and he's, he's racking up those wins ever since he's joined Penske. So I think... You know, he, he has so much ahead in his career. I think he's probably going to win a few more championships before it's all said and done. And I think he's going to be another threat again when it comes to uh, Homestead this year. Uh, I know Daniel Suarez is probably hoping and wishing and praying in his mind that this the same thing that happened to Logano happens to him. That, you know, maybe gives at that time just wasn't the right place for him. And, you know, when Logano was young, he had the, you know, being the guy to follow Tony Stewart, just pressure upon pressure that nobody could probably live up to. And, you know, he did his best for how young he was, but you know, he's, you've seen a different confidence and a different way that he races and uh, how he takes ownership on the track. Now that he's moved to Penske and he's kind of the elder statesman with, you know, being there, you know, a little bit longer than Keselowski has in the series, but not with Penske, but you know, that experience, I think he helped, Brad, when he got to that situation, like, hey, man, this is what you don't want to have happen. So you can stay with this one spot and make it great for your whole career. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like you mentioned with Suarez, he's he's hoping that he'll have the same kind of uh, situation happen with himself that Logano had happened when he joined Penske uh, in 2013. Um, it, it's always weird when I think about Suarez because a lot of people say that, uh, you know, maybe Joe Gibbs Racing wasn't the best place for him 
for these past two seasons. Um, perhaps he was kind of rushed into the Cup Series when he wasn't ready after Carl Edwards just had a you know sudden uh, announcement to retire. But then I also think to myself, well, let's not forget Daniel Suarez did win an Xfinity, Xfinity Championship with Joe Gibbs. Um, Joe Gibbs gave him the opportunity to come to be a you know a weekly contender in the Xfinity Series just you know three four years ago. So I guess we'll really see what Daniel Suarez has made of this year. He's got a fresh start with Stuart Haas Racing. He's in a car that's definitely capable of winning. Um, so I guess we'll see how it plan how it pans out. And he obviously has very good teammates now at SHR with Kevin Harvick, who is uh, you know he's really becoming a legend of the sport, and Clint Boyer and Eric Almirola, who have both won races, uh, you know, this past season. So I think the four of them can put together uh, something strong, and I think that'll positively impact Daniel Suarez. You touched on it earlier. Last year, the season was dominated by the big three of Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Martin Truex Jr. So in 2019, who do you see having a bounce back or a breakout season as far as, uh, you know, multiple wins in the season? I think uh, I would say Brad Keselowski and Chase Elliott, are going to win some races. I, I would also uh, especially say Kyle Larson, who went winless last year. Uh, obviously, Denny, Denny Hamlin and, and Jimmy Johnson went winless. I think they'll at least win one race. I mean, unless you're counting the clash, in which case Johnson already has a win. But I think Keselowski, he did have that hot streak right at the end of the summer where he won three consecutive races. And then, you know, he wasn't really much of a factor before then or, or after then, for that matter. Um, someone like Chase Elliott, who got his elusive first win at Watkins Glen. Like that was so relieving for that, for that young man, because he, uh, you know, he's had so much disappointment already finishing second place the last couple of years. Um, and then he won two races in the playoffs at, at Dover and at Kansas. So I think he could be someone that wins multiple races this year. So, uh, yeah, I would say Keselowski, Elliott, Hamlin, Johnson, Larson, all guys you got to keep an eye on who, uh, can have a breakout year. Do you think NASCAR's marketing campaign might have been one year too soon? Uh, as last year, last year was all about the young guns, the young guns, the young guns, and the old guys were like, "Hold on, we're still here," and they went out and kind of proved it as far as on the track went. Yeah, I think it made NASCAR kind of maybe look a little, little silly, <laughs> a little bit because uh, you know you had a bunch of thirty-something year olds winning every single weekend, and then you know the guys in their early to mid twenties are just kind of you know, running behind them. So I think NASCAR is really, really anxious to see their young guys, to see their Chase Elliott, to see Eric Jones, to see, uh, you know, Ryan Blaney win some races because that's what they're counting on for the future uh, of NASCAR. They're, they're looking at this younger generation as the guys that'll be uh, leading, the, leading the industry, leading the sport over the next, you know, decade plus. So, um, yeah, I think, NASCAR is going to keep sticking to what they did last year, continue to promote their young guys, because really that's that's what they got to do. How can the young guys help draw their age demographic to the sport? You know, it's a give and a take. You know, back in the day, uh, you would see a Dale Earnhardt go to a dealership or he would, you know, he was visible. It wasn't so much, you know, the PR machine that it is now where it seems like you can't get to these guys. Yeah, so I think social media is pretty big. Um, I can remember seeing a tweet from Ryan Blaney how uh, you know there were fans complaining about like what like what you just said that some drivers have become PR robots or you know they they don't seem like you know they're these amazing fun guys. But in reality, I think what 
would really be best for all the young drivers is that they, you know, just be themselves. And I think that's what Ryan Blaney was, uh, that's what he said in his tweet is like, I'm just going to be myself. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. Let them, you know, act natural and, you know, show honesty and uh, be genuine. I think that's what we see out of Ryan Blaney. I think we say that out of, out of Chase Elliott when he shows emotion after winning or if he shows emotion after losing, you know, that's a good thing. And that's really the best thing that can happen. Because if you try to force them to, you know, show emotion or force them to, you know, be a certain way, then, it, you know, it could come off as kind of phony and then that's kind of a turnoff. Before I get to my final two questions, let's say somebody's listening to this podcast that's not a NASCAR fan, that they're just listening to this podcast and say, you know what, something I wanted to check out, I wanted to watch. How would you tell a novice race fan what to watch for in the Daytona 500 and to maybe make them a new fan? So this is the most cliche thing you could really say about NASCAR, but you don't really experience it until you actually go to the races because when you go there the ex- it's just it's an indescribable experience just the sound and just everything around is just so it's really unlike anything else in sports because you can you know go to a baseball game and go to a football game you know there's going to be some noise but it's not nearly as loud and and it's just you could feel like the horsepower you could feel like the adren- adrenaline within the, the drivers um, so if you ever have a chance to go to a Daytona 500, I, I do suggest going. Um, but if you're watching at home from TV, which you know most people will be doing, um, I guess you could say that keep an eye out for the guys that come from families that have been racing for generations. So that's someone like Chase Elliott, who you know his father was uh, Bill Elliott, a, a former Cup champion. Uh, even Ryan Blaney, you know, his father raced in the Cup Series for a number of years. Um, I, I would even say uh, look to Bubba Wallace, although he doesn't uh, have any prior family members to race in NASCAR. He's someone that is really interesting because, you know, to bring diversity into NASCAR is definitely a big thing. And just last week, they uh, Al Roker on the Today Show did a uh, a feature with him, and they went for a test ride in, in one of the in one of the cars at daytona or i'm sorry might have been at charlotte actually one or the other so i think uh, those three guys are definitely something that uh you know could be the they can be the next faces of the sport all right my final two questions i gotta push you on the spot who do you think who do you think or who do you expect to be in the final four when we get to homestead (laughs) it feels like kyle bush and kevin harvick have been a lock the last couple of years right so yeah, I'm going to pick those two guys. Now, who else? Who else? I think another Penske driver will be in there. I don't think it's going to be Blaney yet. I, I still think he has uh, some room for improvement. Uh, huh. I'm going to go with Keselowski. He was in it two years ago. Logano was in it last year. Uh, so maybe it's like an odd year, even year thing. Maybe Keselowski will be in it. And who will be the fourth guy? Hmm. You know what? I'm I'm gonna. It's a little bit of a bold prediction, I guess. I'm gonna say Kyle Larson. Uh, you know, I think some people have expected him to make it to the uh, championship four, especially in 2017 when he won uh, multiple races and he had an unfortunate engine failure at Kansas, which uh, kept him from advancing out of the round of 12 that year. So I think uh, you know if he if he were to make it to the championship four, we've seen how well he races the top line at Homestead. Um, I think he could definitely be a contender. 
So yeah, I'm going to say Harvick, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Larson. And when the sun sets in Miami, <laughs> who's going to be holding the championship flag? You know, I felt like Kevin Harvick uh, should have been the champion just this year because, I mean, just based on raw speed, that number four team was really probably the best. Um, it, I think the first half of last year, it was really just a battle between uh, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, and then Martin Truex sprinkled in a few wins here and there. Um, but I think Harvick, like, he's not done. I think he really gets another championship before he calls it quits in the Cup Series. So, you know what I'm going to say? Kevin Harvick is the 2019 Cup Series champion. And actually, I have one more question. All right, let's do it. Besides the Daytona 500, what are some of the races that you're looking forward to watching or covering this year in the series? So I think a lot of people are excited about uh, seeing that first race with the new package. So I think probably Atlanta is something to keep an eye on. Um, I won't be at Atlanta. I will be at the Daytona 500. And then my next race after then will be at Phoenix. Um, I think Phoenix is really, you know, as they're working to uh, that track was reconfigured a few years ago, as they're working in the new groove and the new configuration, I think the racing has been pretty good there, especially when it's on a hot sunny day and the track is all slick. So that's, that's usually a good race. Um, I think, you know, the, the crown jewel races are always something good to watch. I think, uh, you know, obviously the Daytona 500, the Coca-Cola 600, you know, that's a famous race because it's, I guess, the final leg of the, uh, the greatest day in motorsports when you can consider the Formula One, Monaco Grand Prix, and then you have the Indy 500. So you end the day with the Coke 600. That's a great race and stock car racing's longest event. And then obviously right before the playoffs happen, the final two events, the uh, Southern 500 at Darlington. And then you got the uh, NASCAR cup race at the Brickyard in Indianapolis, right? Takes us right into the playoffs. So those four races are always great. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, just another great season covering NASCAR. Is the Roval going to be at night this year? I do not believe so. Okay. I don't know. I haven't checked the schedule. <laughs> okay, but that would be cool since that was such a success last year when nobody knew what it was going to be and the practices and things you saw from the practices was like, huh, they're just going to go wreck some cars all weekend. And Bubba Wallace definitely did, but he did get well in the race, though. <laughs> you know, I think I think a roval race for NASCAR at night would actually be a good thing. And I'm saying this because I was actually at the Rolex 24 three weeks ago down at Daytona for the sports car race. And, you know, it's a similar configuration where they – uh race on the, the, the high banks of Daytona and then they race on the infield, uh, you know, and come back out on to, to the speedway turn one. Um, if NASCAR were to do that and they did it under the lights, I think it would be a pretty cool looking show. All right. So um, if they uh, if that idea happens, you know where they got it from. Start <laughs> it right here on Another Score. Yeah. So, John, thank you for being on Another Score and helping me preview the Daytona 500 and the upcoming NASCAR season. Uh, let the listeners of Another Score know where they can listen to your shows and where they can find your writings and things on social media and et cetera. Yeah, definitely. So uh, as as you mentioned, I, I write for the New Mexico Motorsports Report. Um, we have a website. It's nmmotorsportsreport.com. And it's also a radio show that airs uh, Saturday mornings at uh, 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. Eastern time. It's uh, affiliated with ESPN's Albuquerque radio station. Um, so you can listen to our shows there. They're always an hour long. And uh, we we also uh, we record them and then post them on our website. And we uh, classify them as like a podcast. So you can find them on the website as well if you aren't able to listen to it live. And uh, as for my personal accounts, you can follow me on Twitter 
at John Haverlin. So my it's just my name, J-O-H-N-H-A-V-E-R-L-I-N. And, uh, you know, if you want to look me up on Facebook or Twitter, you know, you can add me there. I'll, I'll follow you back or add you back as well. All right. So for my special guest, John Haverlin, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. Mm-hmm.